Welcome to BIV Today, the business podcast from the newsroom of business in Vancouver. I'm Kirk LaPointe, publisher and editor-in-chief. The province yesterday rolled out the vaccination plan, and it includes several new approaches to inoculate British Columbians from the coronavirus. One of our reporters, Tyler Orton, has been working for weeks now on the logistics of the vaccinations. He has a special report that he's leading this week in our print edition. He joins me now to discuss in a two-part series that we're going to do. Tomorrow, we'll be talking to... Pascal Spotfelt-Helfer, who is the uh, head of Genome BC. Good to see you, Tyler. Thank you, Kirk. Well, listen, let's uh, let's take a look at some of the changes in this, because um, British Columbians were anticipating a certain rollout, a certain speed of it, a certain uh, queue even. Let's talk a bit about the queue and how that's shifted a little bit. Yeah, well... A lot of those younger British Columbians that were expecting to get their first doses maybe by the summer, it looks a lot more likely now that they'll be getting their first doses maybe by late spring, based on the decision by the government to kind of rearrange how the doses are going to be administered based on the interval between the first and second dose. It is going to be a noticeable acceleration, uh, especially compared with other provinces across Canada. I think only Quebec is looking at something similar. Yeah, uh, we can talk a bit about that interval because it's it's a little controversial. But before we get to that, it, does it there's a position um, by age? Does a position by geography? Is it, it, it occupation? Where, where what's the queue really look like here? It's going to be a couple different factors. So initially, BC is focused on different age groups. We'll be starting with those 80 and above uh, initially, and it will go then in descending five-year age brackets after the first few weeks. But the other thing that has emerged, though, is that we do have the uh, Serum Institute of India, which is manufacturing essentially the same recipe as the AstraZeneca vaccines. First shipment is due to arrive in Canada on Wednesday, March 3rd, and that's going to be about 500,000 doses. Now, Dr. Bonnie Henry, she said during the unveiling of further details on Monday that if you are an essential worker, if you are, say, a first responder, you may be given the opportunity to accept those essentially AstraZeneca doses and bump up ahead of your age group. But if you're not a fan of those uh, Shield uh, doses that will be coming in, as they're known, as that vaccine from the Serum Institute is known as, then you can say, well, maybe I'll go back to my uh age cohort that I would originally be getting the vaccines from. And so maybe I would get Pfizer or Moderna instead. There's some potential here for what a lot of people are calling vaccine shopping. And I I wonder if that's going to cause a little bit of controversy as some of these cases kind of pick up uh, moving forward. And by cases, I I don't mean, you know, cases of COVID-19, of course. Yeah. Does it mean that, uh, say, I don't know, a a frontline worker could uh, get two doses? get two different two different vaccines so there right now the province is exploring whether or not that could be a possibility they have not come down and uh, committed to anything like that at this point but it's also interesting though is that the federal government hasn't exactly come out and said yeah we're right behind BC's plan. We had federal officials speaking earlier today about how they're still looking at the data looking at what Quebec and what British Columbia is deciding to do by stretching out their intervals much longer than the other provinces. And they'll be seeing if they were, we're still going to be getting a good amount of protection from that. 
Bonnie Henry seems very, very convinced that we will be getting sufficient amount of protection to immunize a large group of British Columbians much sooner than expected. We're just not going to be getting that maximum level of protection that we would otherwise get from two doses administered just a few weeks apart versus 16 weeks apart, which is the new plan from British Columbia. Yeah. So let's talk about that interval because, yes, it is controversial. And yes, so far, the rest of Canada is not prepared to follow in British Columbia's footsteps. But this is not the first place in the world that this is being done. Other countries have tried this. And is that what Bonnie Henry and her staff are really depending on here is data that's coming from places like Israel and other places where, say, in some cases, the duration, the interval, as you call it, is, uh, is quite protracted. And I think it's also very important to think about the fact that the intervals that were suggested by, say, Pfizer and Moderna, it's based on clinical trials. These clinical trials were sped up quite a bit. They want to be able to get those jabs into people's arms within, you know, three to four weeks and make their assessments based on that. We haven't had the opportunity for us to see what would happen for our levels of protection if we are administering those jabs about four months apart, which is now British Columbia's plan. But look, we've been administering vaccines since December. More and more data is coming in, not just from BC, but from other countries, which is showing that there's still a very strong level of protection once you get that first dose. And if you can stretch out that interval more and then administer that second dose much further down along the path, that it's essentially a booster shot that the body is going to remember. And it's going to give you that additional layer of protection, which is what they're counting on to get a lot more British Columbians vaccinated much sooner. Yeah, I mean, obviously, because it's not as if Canada is getting all 90 million doses of vaccines loaded you know, in, into the country at once. It's going to have a uh, scheduled rollout uh, and supply of this. And and as we know, uh, this schedule has been a little bit behind what we anticipated. Um, we're getting a lot, a lot of heat on the federal government and on the provinces in this case here to do it. So your your point is, is interesting. It was just, this isn't really a haste to market as much as it is a bit of a rush to market that researchers were under in order to try to get the first evidence that the coronavirus could be suppressed with a vaccine. Yeah, and I, I think it's worth noting, like if, okay, so if you, we have a large, large group of British Columbians given protection all at once, that can actually go a long way in kind of quashing the coronavirus here on the West Coast. But do we also have to consider what happens if tourists from other parts of the country are just going to drop into BC? Like, how does that affect, uh, especially when we consider the additional strange that strains that have been emerging internationally and how that could impact things as well? New data out of Israel, though, is also revealing how the Pfizer vaccine, it has proven effective at stopping people from transmitting the uh, COVID-19 virus to others, where we don't necessarily have that same data from AstraZeneca or from Moderna at this point either. Yeah, well, look, uh, already today in media, you can see there are people arriving from Quebec for spring break into British Columbia. So uh, ultimately, if the rest of the country doesn't somehow follow suit, doesn't take a look very carefully at providing a lot of first doses faster to a larger uh, cohort, uh, waiting a little bit longer uh, for the second dose. Um, what do you think ends up happening here? We Do we end up 
geographically isolated from the rest of the country until the fall somehow. It's going to come off like a very fragmented way of addressing this pandemic. As you say, we might be in our own little bubble, but I think the premier here, John Horgan, has articulated before why it's going to be a little bit more impractical to try to turn BC into its own bubble versus, say, other provinces, just when you look at the number of highways cutting through provincial borders. So I, I that's going to be something that's going to be difficult to carry out. One thing that might happen, though, is the federal government looks at what the results are in BC. And the, the problem is, is how long can you accurately determine? How, is it going to be like maybe six weeks, eight weeks before you make a determination that BC's path makes sense for the rest of the country and then make that recommendation? It just might be like we're a couple weeks ahead or we can determine this is not actually going to be working out for us. And we could end up maybe months behind the rest of Canada. I, I think what we're embarking on, it's going to make us a, a little bit unique compared with the rest of the country for uh, until essentially this is kind of, you know, put behind us, the, the, uh, the pandemic. I know we like to think of ourselves as being rather different than a lot of other Canadians and the, that our province has, has a kind of a distinction uh, of all of it, as do I imagine every other region uh, in, in the country. But, but this is one here where, um, the risks don't seem all that significant in order to do this, uh, unless what we start to see in about two or three or four weeks among those who have been vaccinated, that there's still cases occurring, that that you know that, that it's not as um, reliable in terms of providing that immunity, in which case you presumably have a chance to say, stop the train, uh, we're gonna go back to plan A. Yeah, and the interesting thing that I'll point to as well, though, is they've been looking at how cases in long-term care homes have been dropping exponentially as these doses have been administered. You get one dose if you're a resident or a staff member there, and in some cases, there's been like maybe one infection in the ensuing weeks or months. Like It's just dropped down to almost nothing at that point. So there are a lot of signs that this could be effective, that we are offering a lot of protection. And as you say, the, the risks might be minimal, but I, it was interesting. Uh, Deputy uh, Health Officer of Canada, How Dr. Howard New, he was talking about how we still have to weigh that balance about maximum protection versus, say, immunizing as many people as quickly as possible to get more of that, uh, you know, kind of widespread protection. So do we ramp up plans for herd immunity? Perhaps it's just not going to be at maximum efficacy as we would with, with two doses in our bodies at this point. Now, you know, we're we're a year into chronicling the caseloads, the hospitalizations, of course, the, the horrible death toll out of all of this. Uh, but I wonder just uh, we can talk for a minute or two here as we conclude about um, what the psychological impact might be if British Columbians start to see caseloads really rapidly decline. They get down into the, you know, from four or 500 down to one or 200, down to something below 100 every day in terms of new cases. Is that also, you think, part of the overall calculation among public health officials that in order to deal with not just physical, but mental health problems that are ensuing as a result of being essentially on guard for a year now, that, that, that you know, kind of addressing this and knocking the numbers down 
can can go a long way beyond even just the sheer physical toll, but but can really help the psychological toll that it's taking. Yeah, I, I agree with that assessment. And it's also important just to th figure out kind of the balance that has to be struck between the physical health and the mental health. And if we are continuing to have difficulties with, with you know, being isolated, having very, very small bubbles within us, um, it, it's going to take that much of a, that much more of a toll on British Columbians. I think there's just this pent up desire for people to um, not stay at home anymore. I think they want to get out uh, and in safe manners, you know, interact with uh, good family members, good friends, what have you. I just don't know if it's going to be safe enough for us to go to large concerts anytime in by the summer. I think that's a little bit out of the question, but look, we don't know that there's so many unknowns uh, much like there was one year ago. Um, we could see things knock down exponent exponentially in a way that we were not expecting before. We could perhaps, you know, um, be leading the country, but I, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. It's an experiment. We, we are essentially kind of the um, the guinea pig, pigs to a certain degree here. And how it works out, it seems as if health officials on the West Coast have a lot of hope for this. Um, I, I, I hope British Columbians can get behind it and and uh, if our mental health improves as a result, I, I think it's going to be that much better for society too. Last question, and it's almost as much of a statement as a question, but with the warmer weather arriving, I mean, do public health officials almost have no other choice but to frankly get as many people vaccinated as possible, knowing that the allure of warmer weather is going to get us out more, going to get us into crowds more, going to, it's going to be much more difficult to regulate these bubbles when most of us are in fact inside because just sure of the, the sheer weather issues. Yeah, and I also think maybe those health officials were expecting that numbers would inevitably go down with the warmer weather because let's be honest, there are some people that are kind of pushing the boundaries of these restrictions. There are people that are still having large indoor gatherings. If those large gatherings get pushed outdoors, that risk goes down significantly with the warmer weather as well. So it's going to be something that we're, we're going to have to continue to monitor. We have seen, even though there have been like notable declines in a few weeks, um, things have kind of leveled off recently in terms of case numbers across Canada. I think that as we get into, you know, later in March, as uh, spring uh, becomes much more apparent in our, our weather, I, I, I'm hopeful that cases will go down further as more people are just outside to interact versus, you know, sneakily trying to interact with friends that they shouldn't be while they're inside. Although Teresa Tam, the, the country's public health official, is noting that there is a small uptick in the caseloads across Canada. And she's basically saying, do not do not get too fast and loose too quickly here at Canada. We we still have some work to do. We we stand to benefit a little bit because of our climate out here. We're gonna be outdoors a little faster than the rest of the country. So it behooves us, I guess, to make sure that as many people have their first doses before they go outside. Because you know, they'll go outside, but you know what it's like, Tyler. I mean, the party will go inside at some point in the course of the yeah. evening, right? Yeah. Anyway, see you. thanks a lot for your help on this. Good work this week on the package and uh, lots more to come. Uh, many more uh, months for sure of watching this vaccination rollout. Excellent. Thank you, Kirk. Tyler Orton with BIV. I'm Kirk LaPointe, publisher and editor-in-chief. Tomorrow, our second uh, part of this series, 
features Pascal Spothelper, who's the CEO of Genome BC. He'll talk about what Genome BC's research, long-term research, looks like in this field. Thanks a lot for watching.